Well, how are you all doing? Good, 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 good. All right, well, let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we just, uh, Lord, we just want to thank you again just for this, um, this great day that you've given us, Lord, for the sun that's finally shining and just the, uh, the opportunity to gather here together. We just ask that your Holy Spirit come and just touch our minds and our hearts and prepare us for what you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Okay, well, let's do a quick recap. Oh, we had technical difficulties last time too. Jeff, what have you done? You're the last one to use it. I know. I did break it. All right. I may need someone. Oh. Oh, there, there she goes. Okay. We're off to a wonderful start. Okay. Well, anyways, let's do a quick recap of what we discussed last week, okay? So the first thing is that we talked about how when it comes to our giving, maybe, okay, when it comes to our giving, your identity and the mentality that you have when you give is more important than the actual giving itself, right? It's the foundation and the act of giving is the house, in the same way the foundation is the most important part of the house, even though it's not, you know, the most celebrated. So, um, click, did I do it that time, Jeff, or did you do it? Okay. And our identity will split us up into two groups, spiritual orphans and spiritual sons. I shared the story of how my friend and his adopted son, Max, who eventually learned to trust his father as provider by experiencing his father's provision every day. And you, know, you will stay in that orphan mindset if you don't allow God to function in that role of provider. Hold on. I think I'm doing it now. All right, here we go. Here we go, George. There we go. I got it. All right, and near the end, we talked about how living as a spiritual orphan can be damaging in your relationship with God because you are still living under the old way of life, living under God's law and not under his grace. All right, people in the Old Testament lived under his law. We live under his grace, but we still kind of revert back to that mindset of wanting to be governed by laws and not grace because, you know, it's easier to just obey. And finally, we looked at the Van Tol family and whose lives were completely changed after they moved from that orphan spirit into that spirit of sonship. So let me clarify something that I wish I would have done last week. So the Van Tol family is an extreme case of what God can call us to when we surrender our lives over to his will. You know, I don't want you all to think that I showed that video to say we all need to sell every single thing that we have and move to China to start an orphanage in order to get out of this orphan mentality, right? That, but what I did want you all to get away was that God does want us to surrender our lives over to him and trust that whatever life he calls us to, he'll provide for us for, right? But it's taken that first step. In, in that trust. You don't need a provider if you are self-sufficient. 
And even though their story was a fantastic and a very cool testimony of God's power and his provision, I don't want you to think that you necessarily need to go to that extreme in order to live out this style of you know, giving that we talk about because you know, it's just not very practical. So, make sense? Okay. So today we're going to look at the actual act of giving. And giving is a simple concept. But just because something is simple, it doesn't mean that it is easy. And anything that isn't easy should be taught and modeled if we want it to be executed correctly. You know, if we want to train someone up to live a generous kingdom-giving lifestyle, then we should be willing to take the time to first model it ourselves and second, teach it to others. Did you know that giving is a spiritual gift? You know, it's listed in the list of spiritual gifts. And, you know, we believe that God has given out spiritual gifts to be exercised to further his kingdom and bless his people. So we teach on how to do them. So for the gift of healing, you know, we at the Vineyard have the five-step prayer model, you know, where we interview, we, we talk, and we pray. This is just the Vineyard's way of teaching how to pray for healing. It's not necessarily, you know, the only way, but it's just how we've decided to teach on it. You know, this pamphlet right here says guidelines to prophetic ministry. You know, the gift of prophecy is something else that needs to be taught and modeled, and, and this is available to anyone in the church. It has, you know, guidelines, and, you know, if you feel you have the gift of prophecy or you want to exercise it, well, you need guidelines for that. And this is available for anyone in the church. But what about giving? You know, Randy Alcorn states in his book, The Treasure Principle, he says, we regularly see the gift of teaching and know what it looks like. We hear testimonies about miraculous healings, restored marriages, and near, nearly everything else but giving. So if we aren't modeling giving, then where will we learn it from? You know, at the very least, our children will learn it from a, and ourselves will learn it from a selfish and self-serving culture which promotes becoming the self-sufficient person that most people strive for, while condemning a dependency on God, because the risk that is associated with that kind of a life is preached as foolishness and being irresponsible in our culture. So we will dumb down verses in the Bible that tell us not only to give our shirt to anyone who asks of it, but to give our jacket also. Or the verse that tells us if a person we don't necessarily like asks us to do something for them, we are to not only do it, but go the extra mile in doing it. We read these verses and think that they are impractical in today's culture. We water them down in response. We water them down and in response water down our giving and improperly model the liberally giving lifestyle that God intends for his children. So as we talk about giving in terms of your money and your time and energy, I want you all just to, to think about you know, those three key factors when I mention giving. I, I said this last week, I don't want you to necessarily think that this is about your money, but it's also about your time and your energy as well. So let's look at the first set of scriptures in today. It's uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Here we go. And uh, this is from the... Um, NASB. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, 
Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. When you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So right off the bat, Jesus exp- addresses this, this whole idea that I spoke about last week, about your motives. <clears throat> he says, do not do your righteousness, do not do your righteous acts in order to be seen by men. He says, if you do that, then you will receive the reward that you were looking for, approval from men. But you do not need to receive anything from God, because what you were seeking was that approval. It's the whole idea of us not allowing God to function as provider because of our motives. And he expands on this idea by talking about sounding trumpets in the streets. So back in those times, it wasn't uncommon for someone to sound a trumpet when a donation to the poor was made. And the trumpet was a signal to the poor that they should gather in order to be served wherever that trumpet was sounded. But Jesus knew that you know, that trumpet eventually became an ego booster for the donator. Every time that trumpet sounded, it fed the pride of the person giving. So last Sunday, Michelle and I went out to lunch after church, and when I got to the register where we were to pay, the cashier was like, do you want to donate a dollar to the children's hospital? And I was like, okay, sure. So I take out a dollar, and I put it in the jar. But when I did that, the um, lady rang a bell and all the employees like cheered and they all thanked me. And I was like, ooh. So I took out another dollar and I put it in the jar. No, I'm just kidding. But, no, I, I didn't do that. But you can see that, you know, my situation was a lot like this situation, just on a much smaller scale. And had I taken out a dollar and put it in the jar or known that that bell was going to be rung and did it just to hear that, you know, I would have been doing the exact same thing that the hypocrites are doing that Jesus is referring to here. So, verse 3 has always kind of confused me. It's this idea of your hands being ignorant of one another. It always reminds me of a scene from the movie, Liar, Liar. And for those of you who don't know, in this movie, Jim Carrey plays a shamelessly deceitful lawyer who is cursed to tell the truth for 24 hours because of his son's birthday wish. So not being able to speak a lie, he tries to write one instead. He has a red pen, and he's trying to write that it's blue. And before he can finish writing out the lie, his hand gains a mind of its own and begins attacking him while his other hand tries fighting it off. <laughs> and the scene is absurd, but I always picture it every time I read this verse. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But, <laughs> but it is. So it's this idea of you know, your two hands having minds of their own and not, one not really knowing what the other is doing. So you know, many scholars believe that this is speaking in regards to the carbon box or the poor man's box. And there was a box in the temple right when you walked in. When people would walk into the temple, it was on your right-hand side, so you would give your donation with your right hand. And so, you know, I think that that's true, but I also think in addition to that, 
that Jesus touches on you know, the most important aspect of giving that we can take away. So I have a question for you. You don't have to answer, but just think in your mind. What are the things that we do that require little thought or hesitation? You know, what are we able to multitask at where we could literally say that my left hand doesn't know what my right hand is doing because you do it so frequently or with so little thought behind it that it doesn't really have a process to it anymore? You know, it has just become one fluid motion. So let's watch this video and then I'll explain a little more. cool so these people go into work doing the same tasks and the same motions day in and day out when they first started their tasks had a process to them so like most of the ones I think of when I think of that is like the the food ones like the chefs it's it's like the guy who cut the lemons it was all right take the lemon in my hand I'll set it on the table I'll cut it in half and then I'll place the lemon in the box you know but that process dissolved into what we saw in that video you know he's throwing them up in the air it's just one fluid motion and it's the simple tasks that become muscle memory. It's the simple things that eventually just become habitual and require no thought or pause. These people took their everyday tasks and perfected them into one motion. Not having to stop and think about what each hand was supposed to do in the process, they just did it without thinking. Their left hand didn't know what their other hand was doing because the action was so constant that there was no time to really process what each hand was doing. If we took that idea and applied it to giving in our life, then how would that affect our lives? If we made giving that habitual and, and practiced it as often as these people did in their video with their simple everyday tasks, then what would that look like? It would mean that giving would just be a part of who we are. It would be our lifestyle. It would be second nature and we wouldn't have to stop and think about doing it. You know, and I think this is part of what Jesus is trying to say here. James Smith, in his book, The Good and Beautiful Life, talks about this passage saying, this image suggests that we should do this good deed. 
with such unawareness that our left hand doesn't know what our right hand just did. If someone were to ask us later, hey, did you give money to the poor a moment ago? You would answer, hmm, did I? I can't remember, and actually mean it. Now, while I don't think we can literally just forget instances of our giving like that, you know, I think we can get to a point of not making giving of ourselves a big deal. You know, there won't be a need to hear that trumpet sound in the street to be seen by men. You know, men will see some of it, of course, but not because we want to make an intentional effort for them to, just because we do it so often that it's bound to happen. There's going to be some overlap. And we have become a giving people. You know, we are people who model ourselves after our Savior, who not only laid down his life literally for us, but metaphorically in this sense as well. In the beginning, I mentioned a list of the spiritual gifts. Well, that list is found in chapter 12 of the book of Romans. And with each gift, well, not every single one, but you know, with most of the gifts, it gives one word to describe how we should execute that gift, you know, how we should appropriately exercise it. And do you know what the word is that's used to describe the gift of giving? It says, with simplicity. You know, the simple things. If you are going to give, just simply give. Don't make a big deal out of it. Don't have giving be a big ceremony, but have it be a part of your nature as Christ had it be a part of his. And the same word that is translated is as simplicity is with liberality. You know, give it sim- simply give and give liberally. Jesus had this simplistic mentality when it came to how he gave. He gave much, and he gave often. But he also had one of the hardest and most draining lives you will ever read about. Kingdom giving is hard. And Jesus modeled it in its most extreme form. He experienced great pains and struggles in living out the life of constant giving that God had called him to. It required perseverance and consistency. One of the most successful ministries in this church is the Kids for Christ group that meets on Friday nights. I have not been a part of any other ministry in this church that has been as consistent as this one, and in the same way, I have never been a part of any ministry in this church that has been as fruitful as this one. And these two characteristics correlate with each other in this instance. I understand that ministries have their seasons, but we have always had young kids in this church and therefore we have always had a need for this program. And that's a huge testament to Andre, Cindy, and Britt as the leaders of KFC. You know, being associated in small part with this ministry, I see not only their consistency, but I see their perseverance in running this ministry as well. It is the same perseverance that Christ modeled when he sought seclusion from people just to get some rest, but the crowd sought him out and in his compassion, he ministered them to them anyways. The amount of time, energy, and money that they give into the Kids for Christ is to be commended. And I'm not commending them in a way to guilt anyone, but to spur us on, you know, to give in whatever capacity that God has called us to. Because giving is relative to each person. And not everyone gives in the same capacity as someone else. Now this church has many other ministries, and those three are not the only ones who give of themselves in this church, not by a long shot. So do not think that I'm saying that any one person or any one ministry is better than another one. 
you know, we are all a part of one body and have many parts. But it is just because of my involvement with them and their ministry that I chose to highlight them in this way because I can confidently say that they give of themselves consistently and know it to be true. Paul uses the same method in his second letter to the Corinthians. And this specific text is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 8, and Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. So he says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that God in his kindness has done through the churches of what is of what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to. So we have urged Titus to encourage your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith and in your gifted speakers and in your knowledge, your enthusiasm and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. So here Paul tells the church in Corinth of the generosity of the church in Macedonia. He says that even though the church in Macedonia is undergoing all these trials in their poverty, they still gave themselves to God and to others according to God's will for them. And not only that, but he goes on in verses 7 and 8 to ask them to excel also in this gracious act of giving, just as the Macedonians did. He tells them that they abound in so much that is good, and in their knowledge, and their, in their uh, gifted speakers, and you know, in their faith, but they can't forget about the, this joy of giving. He says that he's not commanding them. And I love that. He, you know, he doesn't want them to go back into this orphan mentality of, okay, well, we have to do this then in order to be you know, children of God or to be loved by God. It's not about the need to do it. He says, I'm not commanding you to do it. It's not required. But he does say that he is testing how genuine their love is. And the NASB translated, translates it as he is proving the sincerity of their love. He's saying that if they love the way that they say they do, then they will be giving. Paul is using the giving of one church to spur on the giving of another. And he is gauging the sincerity of their love and using their giving as the scale. So he's proving the sincerity of their love and using their giving as the scale. And even God used this method to show how genuine his love is for us. So let's look at the first part of this verse. For God so loved the world that he blank. All right. Now the way that this is worded, we could assume that whatever verb comes next, whatever word that he chooses to come next, will be the verb that we use to, as a measurement by which you know, we could gauge how much God loved the world. So if it said, God so loved the world that he cried a certain amount, then we would say, okay, well, the more he cried, then the more he loved the world. Right? 
but of course it's not crying. That would be silly. So let's see what it actually is. Survey says, gave. <laughs> Who knew, right? <laughs> I admit it's not the biggest surprise since this is the most famous verse in the Bible, but the point still stands that if we want to gauge the sincerity or the intensity that God has for the world, then we look at what he gave. Paul applies that same concept to the Corinthians. He wants to know if their love is real. So if God himself uses how much he gave as a scale for how much he loved, and Paul uses this very same concept to test the love of two churches to be genuine or not, then would it be unfair for us to use that same scales and balances in our church? Would it be unfair for us as individuals to use that same scale in our own life and to see where the needle stops? Giving proves the sincerity of our love. So are you proving that your love is genuine? And I want to just close today by offering an analogy that I hope will summarize what I've been trying to get across in these two messages. So does anyone know what an oxbow lake is? I didn't either. But it's an independent freestanding body of water that used to be a part of a flowing river. Over time, as the river continued to change due to erosion and different deposits in the bends, the river grew, you know, the bends and the, the meanders in the river grew more and more extreme until one of those meanders breaks off from the rest of the river. So this diagram kind of shows what happens. So, you know, it's got this huge bend, and, and, but over time the erosion on these sides will kind of cause it to, to do more of that U-shape and bring the two ends of the river, you know, closer together. And this is the final result. They call it an oxbow lake because of its distinct U-shape. Now, when it comes to giving, most Christians, especially in this part of the world, are just wading in this little pool of water over here in the oxbow lake. You know, they're just sitting in it. The Oxbow Lake is safe. There isn't much movement. The water is stagnant. It is easy to control and to forecast any changes that may occur in the water. You can see that the river is just a few steps away. And you may even make it an event to, to walk on over to the river and to dip your feet in the, in the rushing current and convince yourself that that's, that's enough to satisfy you. Because the thought of giving into the river and seeing where it takes you is too risky. So you quickly return back to the lake. Unfulfilled, but in full control. Relying only on yourself. But the truth is, is that God is found in the flowing river. And the truth is that the river will take you to places in your life that you didn't see coming. If you surrender your life over to this method of kingdom giving that we've been talking about, your life will change. And there will be risks, but there will also be provision. And it's through this way of living that your blind faith will just become faith. Because you'll see the provision start to come. You will be a witness and a recipient of God's faithful 
provision for his children. There's no need for a lifeguard when you're waiting in the kiddie pool. God is ready for his kids to come and join him in the river. So whether you were born in one of these lakes or you have found that over time the burdens and the fears of this life have eroded and eaten away at you until you've become completely cut off from the river that you were once a part of, God is still calling us back to him in the river because the life that gives is the life that shows that our love that we claim to have is true, real, and genuine. Let's not water down our giving and change our beliefs to match our selfish actions, but let's change our actions to match what we believe if we believe that everything we've been talking about these past two weeks is true. Amen? Okay. Can the, can the worship team come back up, please? So it would seem appropriate that after two messages on giving that we provide you with an opportunity to give, Right? Now, don't pull out your wallets, your purses, because you're not going to be giving your money. I'm asking you to volunteer something that is much more precious, your time. And I have to share this, this quote I read. This is from the, from the creator of Seinfeld, Larry David, but he said, I'd rather have thieves than neighbors. Thieves don't impose. They just want your things, but neighbors want your time. And I think there's a lot of truth in that because time is our most valuable and treasured resource. I think too often we opt to donate money to a cause instead of our time so that we can really hold on to the main thing we want to control. Well, you don't have an opportunity in this event. So who wants to know what our mystery fellowship event is next week? Sweet. Eight people. <laughs> That's a start. No, but what we're going to be doing, it's going to be called the Love Bomb Scavenger Hunt, okay? So, we, um, I don't have one of those cards on me, but that Love Bomb card, okay? So, the Love Bomb is when we, oh, sweet, thank you. Can I walk in front of you, George? Will it scream? Okay. Okay, so we all have these cards. Um, it says, something extra to show that God loves you. And, you know, ideally we're going to use these, you use these when you go out and you're in the public and you feel that God is calling you to do something, you know, to, to pay for somebody or to, to, you know, do something for someone. You give them this card, you know, is just a practical and simple way of showing that God loves them, okay? So we call it love bombing someone where you just kind of jump in, bring the kingdom of God there in, in some way and then, you know, go on with your day. It's just part of your lifestyle, right? So... We are going to be doing a love bomb scavenger hunt. Now, who knows who's been a part of a scavenger hunt? I know I have. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's like, oh, my gosh. But this one's going to be great. So we are going to go out, and this is going to be a combo of the two things. We're going to go out, and the church is going to provide all the funds for this. All right? We're going to divide into teams, and we are going to go out and do a scavenger hunt of a list of different things that we can do as a, as a community and as your team go out and love bomb the town of Ashland, okay? Whether that be people in, um, you know, who are working, people who aren't or whatever, it's, there's, a, there's a list of different things. I had my wife come up with the uh, list because and she kind of had the idea. So, you know, I would have been terrible at coming up with that list. So 
you know, we're not allowing you to provide money initially for this. You know, the church wants to provide it because what we want you to do is volunteer your time. We want participation. So next Sunday, we're going to have an abbreviated service, um, and we are going to, you know, there's, there's going to be details sent out this week on it, but it's, we're going to have an abbreviated service, and then we're going to go out and do the event and then come back for, like, I think there's going to be a luncheon thing planned, and we're going to be able to share testimonies and just, you know, enjoy our time of giving, because so many times giving, giving can just be, you know, <laughs> you got to kind of persevere through it, then becomes more of a more of a pain than a joy of giving, right? But you know, details on this will follow, but this is just our way of, of hoping I'm hoping this will just be a way to kind of spur this this um you know, or jumpstart this lifestyle of kingdom giving. You know, if if y'all have just some of you have just never you know, been a part of that rushing river of being able to just every day get up and go and do that, or, you know, maybe you were, but you kind of, erosion and stuff started happening, and you want to get back into it, well, this, this can be the start of that, so, um, so, let's pray. <clears throat> well, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to, um, just thank you, Lord, for, for your gift of, of giving that you've given to us. And Lord, uh, we know that this just wouldn't be possible for us to, um, to do if we just don't know you as, as our father and as our provider. And you want so much more for, for your kids than just the, the random event of, of feeling generous, Lord. But you want this to be a part of who we are. And you modeled that through your son. So thank you, Lord, for him. So Lord, we just uh, we just pray that over these next weeks and um, and in this uh, in this love bomb scavenger hunt, Lord, that that you just prepare the the town and prepare the hearts of the people that will minister to, Lord, and and let this uh, just be one way of showing that that it's not just feeling generous, Lord, but this love that we have is is something genuine. And it's something sincere. And let this prove that, Father. So we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.